happy, happy thoughts. Do you know, my mum texted me specifically and said, did Joe miss an episode this week? Question mark. And then I said, oh, yeah, it's because of it's because of me. I said I was poorly. Mm. And she goes, um, uh, nothing else. It just said, you're not forgiven. <laughs> F- full stop. And I was like, I OK. Hey, up. I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with This Story Begins at some time in the mid 14th century. Can't be any more specific. That's probably the least, I was going to say, that's probably the least specific time that you've ever said. Do you know, I always get really worried now when you say this story begins in, I don't know, the Victorian time or the Georgian time. Because you've said it to me so many times, I feel like I don't really have a reaction to it anymore. Mm. Like before, I'd be like, oh, I love the architecture there. Or, oh, the plague happened that time. No, you're just like, but now I'm like, okay. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. jog on. Let's move yeah. to the next point. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're in the mid-14th century, so we're having fun back in the Middle Ages. Wonderful. And it begins, this story, in the little market town of Kirby Lonsdale in Cumbria, which we go to regularly. Do you? Mm. Because we live, you know, pretty much on the banks of the River Loon. And Kirby Lonsdale was built further up along the bank of the River Loon, at the point where the borders of Cumbria, Lancashire and Yorkshire meet. Ah, like a thruple. Oh yes, like a proper thruple. And don't we all love each other? The love between Lancastrian and Yorkshiremen is well known and celebrated. Well, I didn't realise that this was a ting until... What are um, the roses, mate? Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I should have done. The House but, of York, um, the House of Lancaster, it goes I deep. Think they're, uh, as an impartial person, I think they're both beautiful parts of the country. They are. Although Lancashire does it in a in a smaller space, we're more efficient. You know, Yorkshire needs a lot of space to do the same. Yorkshire get a bit cocky with it sometimes, I think. Uh, what's his name? Sean Penn? Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Sean, he irritates me. I'm like, Yorkshire tea advert. Like, just shut up. Like... I love Yorkshire. I lived there for a long time, but please, shush. You're irritating me. Thank you. Oh, you've got to cut him some slack. He does die in every movie. When will oh, Sean you... get to be the hero? When? He's the <clears> hero <throat> of death. Back to the story, I think, before he gets maudlin, because there's, there's plenty of that coming up, don't worry. There is evidence of human occupation in the area about Kirby Lonsdale since at least Neolithic times. We know this because of a 62-foot Neolithic stone circle that was discovered in the nearby village of Casterton, which consisted of an impressive 19 stones. Very good. That's a fair size. That's more stones than Stonehenge. Mm. Although I have to say they are less artfully displayed. They're just... Each one's sunk in. They've not bothered yeah, to top You know, any. Stonehenge has been... They've replaced them there. Like, they've not always been standing up in that beautiful... Um, position like if you look at old photos in like yay ye Victorian times I don't know why I say yay then the Victorian times a lot of them are not where they are now they've hoisted them back up but they were there at some point hmm were they were they yeah they were (laughs) let's not do the conspiracy thing it's an alien landing station I love that on the history channel like ancient aliens oh ancient aliens is a great hole to fall down of an evening like it does make sense. Mm. <laughs> Those damn greys. Kirby Lonsdale also boasts evidence of Roman occupation and was a one of only a handful of Cumbrian towns that was mentioned in the Doomsday Book. 
mainly because it is the site of a rather impressive Norman church. <gasps> Wonderful. Oh, you love a good church. I do. Visit it. You'd like it. Mm, I will. On my way down. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you can definitely hit it up on your way south. Mm. The reason for this almost constant human presence throughout British history is that it sits at a natural crossing point for the River Loon, making it the place where your drovers, your merchants, any travellers are all going to converge on their way north or south along the western coast of England. So if you're going to cross the Loon, that's the only place for miles in either direction where you're going to manage it. So it's strategic Oh, very strategic. A bit Mm. like, you know, the way Oxford uh, originally got its wealth because it was the place that you crossed the Thames. Yeah, yeah, because it was a narrow point. Yeah, literally an ox ford. Hmm. It was a place where oxen could go across. Kirby Lonsdale is like a slightly poorer version of that with less, you know, um, spires. Less fords. Yeah. It was the northern version of Oxford, let's say. Fine. It's very inaccurate, but let's say it. Kirby Lonsdale was granted a market charter in 1227, and the weekly market increased the amount of traders who would regularly bring their goods to the town. I miss a market. Well, there's still a market there today. Yeah, but they're all sort of shushed up now, aren't they? They have a a market sort of um, cross, and in there, you know, a little covered area. Mm. That's where, even to this day, we go and have ice cream, and we will sit in in the centre of the market square. I love that. You're keeping that alive from 12, whatever it was. 1227. And you're still doing it. But the problem with suddenly, you know, it being a a, a hub, you know, a cosmopolitan three counties hub, Mm. was it highlighted that there was an issue with the crossing? Because although it was kind of a natural crossing point, it was not always an easy crossing point. Yes, it was shallower than slightly up and slightly downstream, but that didn't mean to say it was shallow. Okay. Uh, and high rainfall, strong currents. There were plenty of times when animals could be swept away, as well as any unwary humans, Aww. floating downstream and off into the distance, till eventually they'd be spat out into the Morecambe Bay. Aww. It was a risk that the people of the town accepted for another hundred years or so, before <laughs> someone thought to find a safer means of getting across. A bridge. That would make sense to me. Uh huh. Yeah. Or a raft. Oh yeah, even a ferry. Yeah, just yeah. they pulled across one way or the other. There were many things. I think the people of Kirby Lonsdale were just like, well, to be honest, we don't cross the river very often. It's all the people bringing us goods. Yeah. So if they if they don't like the you know issues, they can deal with it. Why should we? I think that's fair. But it it suddenly became a problem for one of the people of Kirby Lonsdale because on one particular rainy day, sometime around 1370. An old woman came out of her little cottage to discover, shock horror, that her cow had somehow managed to get out of its field at some point in the night, and for reasons best known to itself, it had crossed to the far bank of the loon. It's probably where the best grass was. Oh, I mean, the grass is always greener. On the other side of the loon. That's Mm. the original uh, origin of of the saying. Have you ever heard... The um, the phrase, up the wooden stairs to Bedfordshire. Yes. See, obviously being brought up in Bedfordshire, like my mum would say it to me all the time, and then I said it to someone, and apparently it was in loads of films in like America and stuff mm. for years. I just wondered if you heard of it. Anyway. I had because my nan used to say it, but I don't know where she got her, where she got it from. Yeah, maybe a film. 
probably. She she was agoraphobic and spent a lot of time indoors. Mm. Very sad. Yeah. Now, the old woman, she looked out and she noticed the water was running high. The currents looked particularly strong. And frail as she was, she knew it would be suicide for her to attempt to cross in order to bring the cow back herself. There's just oh, not It's not da- happening. Not Daisy the cow. Yeah. She tried shouting across at the cow. <laughs> Oi! You! Come back here! Get here! I want milk. Um, you know, encouraging the cow. I, I, I imagine it wasn't like that. I was like, come on, come on, come on, Daisy. No luck. Cow went for moving. It was happy over there. It was at this point that the devil himself turned up on the bank of the River Loon. Of course. Yeah, you know, where else is he going to be on a mm-hmm. rainy Monday morning? Yeah, he's got nothing else to do. No, no, he's he's just hanging out in Cumbria. Mm. Seeing how distressed the old woman was... <laughs> Where does the devil live, Cumbria? He decided to do her a good turn, and he offered to help her get the cow back. He said, rather than just... I mean, he's magic, so rather than just bringing the cow back across, he said he'd build a bridge across the river for her to use. That's very current. There's only one condition he placed uh-huh. on this, this great deal. The condition was that the devil would be entitled to the first soul that crossed the bridge as payment for his services. Uh, fair. Do you think uh, that's fair? <clears throat> But what about if you're expecting a loved one? Mm. Oh, you, well, you, you assume there's some kind of trick in there for him, don't you? Yeah. The old woman, she considered the offer. Uh, she reluctantly agreed to the terms. So mm, the de- I would, yeah. Yeah, so the mm. devil got to work. He, or she, because I do not want to misgender the devil... We're so woke, aren't we? Well, I, I never met the devil. I don't know how the devil identifies. No. But they, the devil, constructed a 50-metre-long, 15-metre-tall bridge with three arches across the loon. Work of a second for him. He's That's very impressive. good. At, you know, yeah. any civil engineering enterprise, he's bob on. Uh, and then he waited to receive his payment. However, instead of immediately crossing the bridge to collect her cow... The old woman went back to her cottage. She returned with a loaf of bread and her dog. Okay. As the devil watched on, the old woman threw the loaf of bread clear across the bridge, which is very impressive considering that at the first modern Olympics women's javelin competition held in 1932, the winner, a woman by the brilliant name of Babe Diedrichsen, Brilliant. She only managed to throw an Olympic javelin 43.69 metres. Uh-huh. And how wide is the... The the bridge is 50 metres. Uh-huh. So she's, okay. she's managed to throw her loaf of bread further than the first... Yeah, but surely the bridge has to be medal. slightly longer than the the river. So actually, it's probably... It is doable. If, you, if you're talking about the, the decline... I'm, I'm saying she, she managed to throw it... You know, she's a frail old woman with the, th- the throw of an Olympic athlete, is what I'm saying. Uh, so, I'm assuming, at the very least, it was a baguette that she yeah, but if she's something like, more if she's, aerodynamic. If she's milking those cows constantly, she's probably, like, getting buffeting. Well, uh, well, yeah, I guess she's got... She used a milking arm. What, mm. like a, a, a blacksmith with his um, hammer arm. Is hammer. Big. <laughs> his arm. Yeah, his hammer arm is always big, isn't it? Because yeah. that's the one that he's swinging all the time, whereas the other arm's a bit more weedy. Yeah, yeah. It's the old woman used her udder arm. Uh-huh. She <laughs> flung that bread with a mighty fl- with a mighty fling. Yeah, and it got to the other side. The old woman's dog 
immediately ran after the bread, and as a result, it was the dog's soul, and not the old woman's, that the devil received as payment. But the poor dog. Mm. I know, she sacrificed the dog. Poor Sheba. I don't, we don't know what this dog was called, unfortunately. It was... I don't know why I meant Sheba. Surely Sheba's a cat. Well, I mean, Sheba was a queen, wasn't she? Yes. The arrival of the Queen of Sheba. Yes. Ancient aliens would disagree. Yeah. It was a dog person. <laughs> it was a grey dog. Mm. At this point, though, I do have to point out that most historians dispute this version of events. The more accepted narrative, for you squares out there, mm. uh, is that the monks of St Mary's Abbey in York had commissioned the building of the bridge after they'd been granted the lands and incomes attached to the church in Kirby Lonsdale. So they'd gone, well, we're now, we're now getting all the income from this market town, basically. So we want to make it easier for people to get there so that they can trade. The church exploiting people? We'll have none of it. Well, in this, in this case, it was quite a, a beneficial Entre- thing. Entrepreneurial. They're like, well, if we put a bridge there, so it really is the safest crossing point of the loon, we're going to increase footfall. Mm. A bit like Mary, Queen of Shops. They're like, we've got to increase the footfall, make it look nicer, because it really is a I lovely bridge. Like, I liked her programmes, mm. um, and I like her hair. Yeah, she just never finished any, did she? I, I don't remember her finishing mm. a project. It was like, we're going to save this thing, and then she'd kind of put a few things in place, and then go, right, on to the next project. And you're like, no, 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 no. You go back yes. to making your knickers, that finish that. A- Sounds a bit like me. Mm. Next. You and Mary. You're good at starting. Uh, mm. <laughs> but if we accept that more traditional viewpoint, that it was to do with the church increasing their revenues, we would not be able to talk about the possible link between the actions of an old woman in 1370-ish and the multiple instances of devil dogs in Britain in the subsequent 700 years. You have just piqued my interest yeah. massively. I literally just sat up and was like... Right? Yeah, let's do it. For starters, and you you kind of alluded to this, it seemed that the sacrificing of a dog to the devil was a pretty heartless action on the part of the old woman. Mm. However, according to British folklore, it would be the most natural thing in the world to do. Okay, expand. I, I will. And it will begin now. Dogs were domesticated in Europe around nine to 10,000 years ago. Which, coincidentally, was the same time that humans were finally establishing permanent settlements in the British Isles. Because up until then, it had been too cold and there had been too many bears. Uh-huh. That yeah. was seriously the problem. Oh, ju- just in Britain, or people yeah. had just started, started... In the British Isles. Okay, fine. So the first time humans, uh, Homo sapiens... Mm. No, it wasn't even, it was like Homo erectus had got there. Um, it was just too cold to stay because we didn't have the technology of fire. So you could go over there and then it'd get too cold and you had to come back to mainland Europe. It's too cold to stay now. Yeah. But (laughs) we we have the benefit of fire. We do, you're right. So we can stay. Yay. But that meant that there has likely never been a period of British history when humans were not accompanied by man's best friend. So whereas there was a time in mainland Europe where there were humans and there were wild dogs... There's always been domesticated dogs and humans together in Britain. Yeah, okay, that's exciting. Mm. Do you know why cats uh, ended up over here? Because we wanted to catch mice? Was it to do uh, with well, the plague? N- well, it was to do with the Romans. So the Romans would bring them over mm. to catch, yeah, like pests and stuff to kill off 
sort of disease and all of that. So that's why cats ended up coming over here. And cats obviously come originally from quite hot climates, which is why uh, it's believed that cats still will sit in hot places, like near the fire, near the radiator, anywhere that's warm, because they're native to hotter countries, even though they've been domesticated in the UK for a long time. Oh, bless them. <clears throat> One of our cats found the joy that is a hot water bottle yesterday. Ah, uh, see, Life's that's never my point. Be the same again. Mm. As the belief in Christianity began to replace local pagan practices, a belief developed that when a new churchyard was sanctioned and sanctified, the first person to be buried in it will be expected to remain forevermore in ghostly form to protect the holy ground from evil spirits, witches, warlocks, and all manner of other dark, malevolent creatures. Mm-hmm. So it's you, you, the first person to go in there, it's a bit like the devil in the bridge. The first person to go in there, their soul's got a job to do. You don't just get a nice afterlife. You are now custo- yeah, you're custodian of that graveyard for, forevermore. Uh-huh. Realising that this could mean that no spaces in a graveyard would ever be occupied, the early priests reportedly hit upon a novel solution. When they were digging the foundations of a new church, they would make sure to bury the body of a dog under the cornerstone. This dog would then take on all of the protecting duties for the rest of eternity. So again, they just bung the responsibility, like the old woman had, onto the dog. I mean, in a way, how... I don't know, is that scary if you saw, like, a ghost dog? Or is it like, hey, ghost dog, want to fetch? Do you know what I mean? Well, because this was part of the, the local sort of, this was part of the tradition, these these church dogs were considered to be a, a benevolent force. They were a good thing to have about. So if you saw a dog wandering around the cemetery, you wouldn't be scared of it. It'd be, oh, good, it's doing its job. Well, before public parks were around, that's mm. just people used to hang in graveyards, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Just for, just for a Somewhere laugh. to be. Mm. These dogs, these ghostly protectors, became known as church grims. And they I take the this. form of a large black dog with glowing red eyes that can be seen prowling the grounds in stormy weather. Like from Harry Potter. Mm. As well as protecting the graveyards... Grimms will also toll the church bell at midnight to warn the locals that a death was about to take place. Hmm. So there you go, nice early warning system. If you've got, a, <laughs> if you think you've got heartburn, and then at midnight you hear the church bell go in, you look up and you see a pair of red eyes. It's like this might be a heart attack. I need to, I need to definitely consult the local doctor. Thanks, Church Grim. The bell tolls for you. It was also said that if the priest sees the Grim during a funeral service. The Grim would indicate whether the person who's being buried will be going to heaven or going to hell. Okay, we're still at, we're we're at Catholicism time, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, yes, I think we'd still yeah. be in Catholicism. This this sounds quite um, rich. What year are we in? Well, this was from the beginnings of Christianity, so you'd be looking. Oh at, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, probably be from shortly after the Roman occupation, wouldn't it? Because they were the ones who brought Christianity across. Yeah. So yeah, probably post-Roman and then when they left and we sort of did that weird mishmash of Christianity and our own retained beliefs this was probably when the well let's bury a dog in the corner just to be safe (laughs) came about so probably yeah Anglo-Saxon times I imagine this came from yeah grim it sounds like a good Anglo-Saxon word as well doesn't it yeah 
The name Grimm, apparently, though, comes from another occasion when the devil was tricked into building a bridge. Because <laughs> this, this happened a lot. I mean, he's a busy and practical uh, person. It was one of his go-to offers, it seems. Yeah. yeah. The, de- the devil's like, well, you know, I can... Do build a bridge. Thing. Yeah, I'll build <laughs> you a bridge. That was his opening gambit to everyone. What's his name? Was it Sam Johnson, the blues guitarist who met the devil at the crossroads? The first offer the devil made was, do you want me to build you a bridge? And he's like, no, I'd, I'd rather be able to play the guitar. Like, oh, fine, okay. <laughs> I've got the mortar all ready. What's wrong with you? It would be a stunning bridge too. Yeah. You're allowed three arches only. It's like, we're, we're so far away from the nearest water. What would I possibly need the bridge to be over? Stupid devil. This time it was a bridge over the river Yore in Yorkshire. The bridge is now known as Kilgrim. That's because in this version of the story, the villagers made a collective deal with the devil and agreed to draw lots to see who would be the sacrifice. The unlucky man chosen, a shepherd, reportedly swam across the river next to Mm. the bridge before whistling for his dog, Grim, who obediently trotted over the bridge and lost his soul. That's such a brilliant name for a dog. Grim. I love it. Grim. But it's a a very on-the-nose name for a bridge, isn't it? Kill Grim. Why is it called that? Because he killed Grimm. Is it kill as in K-I-L-L or K-I-L? It's K-I-L, but I assume the so, second L got lost somewhere. So there's a lot There's a lot of kills up here, and it means... It does mean something. So there's like uh, like East Kilbride and West Kilbride and uh, That's because Kilmarnock. that's where it was, you would kill your bride the, after the wedding ceremony. <laughs> but I, I only hear from the West or the East. Yeah. Um, but it, no, it does mean something, uh, and I read it once, but it's not retained in my brain. Damn! So we we know that we do not know. Hmm. That'll have to do for now. But while it seemed at first that dogs were a good buffer from the devil, yeah, they were they were something that you could you could use in a proactive way to keep bad things away from you. It stands yeah. to reason that before too long, the devil had so many dog souls that he had to find something to do with them. They were cluttering <laughs> up the place. Because I, I don't think the devil could punish these dogs because they hadn't done anything wrong. All they'd done is been obedient. You'd definitely have your favourite one, though, wouldn't you? I bet he did. Yeah. I, I hope it was Grim. Mm, I'm rooting for Grim. But he's got all these dog souls. He doesn't know what to do with them. It's a bugger to walk them. So he's just like, <laughs> I, need to, I need to offload them somewhere. It seems... I've just got this image of the devil with like about a thousand leads like, on his finger. <laughs> this is <laughs> not a good use of my time. Grim! Pebble, stop it! (laughs) It seems he decided to return them to the world of the living to roam across the British Isles as portents of doom. (gasps) These these black dogs have different names depending on where you are in the country. Okay. If you're in Yorkshire, you might be stalked by a bar guest, a guy trash, or a padfoot as you cross the moors. I've heard of padfoot. Mm. In the Norfolk... Yeah. (laughs) In the Norfolk Fens, meanwhile, you'll be terrorised by the Black Shook. <gasps> yep. This is the Norfolk Black Shook. Yep. Yes. Oh, okay. Down I in... roughly know of this. You know of thing. the tale. Yeah, roughly. Good. Down in Devon, your blood might be chilled by the mournful howl of a whist hound, or possibly mm. a yeth. You can distinguish the yeth from the whist hound as it is headless, just in case. What wonderful. <laughs> You're down in Devon. Oh, I love it. Yeah. While in Wales, you're more likely to lose your sanity coming face to face with a Gwithgi, 
which the wealth oh, believed word. was actually a manifestation of the devil himself. <sighs> so they, they weren't, the devil sent this dog. They were, the devil is the dog. The Gwithki. I mean, dogs, some dogs can be scary. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I almost got bit by one today. Mm. It was I very told you scary. to stop poking them in the rear end. We don't like it. It doesn't matter how long the stick this, is, they was, are going to catch you. I was drinking coffee and this black, not black lab, this uh, like blonde Labrador just um, didn't like that I was drinking coffee and like almost sunk its teeth into my hand. And I was like, uh, do you mind? Caffeine is bad for you. I was, I was like, please, darling, this is all I have in my life. <laughs> if you take away my caffeine, what am I? <laughs> But is it? I've given you the names. I'm sure what you really want is examples of exactly what an encounter with a black hound would be like. Yes. Good, because I have a trio of tales for you. <gasps> yes. A thruple. A thruple of tales. It's all about the thruples today. Mm. We're going to start with an incident that took place on Sunday, August 4th, 1577. Oh, I thought you were going to say my birthday then. I was like, that would have been the dream. It was a foreboding, stormy day. And the good people of Blithborough in East Suffolk were probably relieved to be able to seek sanctuary in the sturdy stone Blithborough Church, known locally as the Cathedral of the Marshes, for mm. their worship. Yeah. It's a f- big church, really is. Is it? Okay. Yeah. A contemporaneous report states that the storm suddenly intensified with <clears throat> rain violently falling, fearful flashes of lightning, and terrible cracks of thunder which came with such force and power that the church did, as it were, quake and stagger. So this That's is basically a... a normal day in the west coast of Scotland where I live. Yeah, the, they were. They, what they're saying there is this was a big storm. Uh-huh. This was quite a bad one yeah. for them. But it wasn't just a storm. It was a herald of doom. Because <gasps> it was letting them know of the arrival of Black Shuck. A black dog the size of a small horse with only one fire-red eye in the centre of his head. Shook entered the church, smashing the door open, and ran down the central aisle, killing a man and a boy with his jaws while blasting fire at the other terrified villagers. As he reached the pulpit, Black Shook let loose a howl that was so violent it sent the church steeple crashing down through the roof. That's how you make an entrance. Sometimes uh, the sounds of dogs really terrify me if they're in a film. Like, they're scary. Well, for a long time they would have successfully hunted us. Uh, yeah. You know, when we were, as you know, various versions of homos first making our way down onto the fields and plains of Africa, packs of dogs would have been one of the many, many things that could kill us. So that howl and that sound of a dog is like, Oh, uh, still still somewhere primal in the back. I don't like loud sounds anyway. Mm. Um, it gives me the fear. But yeah, barking is oh, oh, you'd, horrible. You'd have hated this place then. Here in mm. the church steeple, complete with bell crashing down through the roof. That's that's bound to be pretty damn loud. I would have been very cross. Black Shock, pleased with his work though. He turned and he sprinted back out again, leaving long burn marks from his hellish claws on the wooden doors that can still be seen to this day. <gasps> Though I have I to, go. you know, for balance, say that sceptics will claim, <laughs> those sceptics, that these marks were actually caused by candles. 
Lise Bernard. No, it was closed by the dog. Yeah, well, yeah, but sceptics, you know what they're like, looking Thoughts. for facts. <laughs> I, used to, I, hate, I used to watch a programme called Mythbusters, right? yeah. and I don't know why I watched it, because I'd get really annoyed that they'd... That like, they'd bust the myth. Yeah, and I'd be like, oh, why can't you just like leave it for everyone? Why can't you just enjoy the mystery? Come they'd on, be like, guys. and this was a fake photo of fairies in the garden. And then... Oh, the world's slightly less magical. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and this is a fake photo of the Loch Ness Monster. Well, they're all fake. <laughs> I mean, definitely. Uh, they they you, only I started in like, the 50s, didn't they? Loch Ness is bloody massive. Yeah, but the guy who first claimed he saw a Loch Ness Monster did admit that he'd seen a King Kong film where the sort of, you know, the thing that King Kong was battling looked quite like the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, it's done wonders for the tourist trade. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to poo on anyone's good time. I'm I'm glad that people go there to try and find Nessie. I'm just saying it's a bit of a coincidence that oh, the yeah. description the first like... guy gave was like something he'd seen in a movie the day before. And everyone starts seeing like flying saucer spaceships when all of a sudden like War of the Worlds has just come out and... Yeah, you just want to be involved. Stuff. It's nice. I just, I just want to see some tin cans in the sky, and I want to see a scary black dog ripping steeples off churches. Oh, good, because Black Shucky wasn't finished. That was that was just the first act. So he'd gone into that church. He'd done act all that. Two. Act two. He headed twelve miles northwest to the town of Bungie. What a name! Where it entered St Mary's Church. Accompanied again by flashes of lightning. Now fully warmed up, Black Shuck slaughtered the majority of the choir in Bungie Church and spat flames at the congregants before disappearing again into the storm, leaving death and destruction in his wake. What? So there were two separate reports on the same day of this dog. He's a serial killer. Well, yeah. But weirdly, the, the town of Bungie is quite proud of having been the victim of a Black Shuck attack, because today, Black Shuck is represented on the coat of arms for the town. Well, if you look at the top of the coat of arms, there is a black dog and a flash of black lightning. What's it called? Bungie? Bungie. B-U-N-G-A-Y. I believe I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, you probably are. Only because I believe it's mentioned in um, Upstart Crow. I love that show. Yeah. Have you brought up the coat of arms for yourself? I have, sorry. Yeah, so you can I have. see the black dog at the top. It feels like it's been added, though. It feels like there was a coat of arms there. There was, and then... Before, and then they've added the dog at the top. Yeah, this wow, happened. It's like... This happened, it... and they went, yeah, we're just going to add that in. <laughs> I'm it pretty does... sure this is what we're going to be famous for. <laughs> I really like it, though. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's um, it's kind of like sitting on like a lightning bolt, kind yeah. of. Well, that's Black but... Shuck. I'm a fan. Oh, yeah, because of the lightning. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. <gasps> Wonderful. And there's a castle, and there's also a boat. And um, oh, There's a lot going on with the Bungie um, coat of arms. They've really they've not gone with leaves? the less is more kind of feel. No. The, the one where I live is just um, a ship. That's it. Just a ship? Just a ship. I don't think Hisham actually has one. I'll have to check. You'll have to make your own. Until today. But that that, that is the... The biggest story of Black Shuck. That was like his, you know, that was his Oscar-level movie. That's like folklore, though, isn't it? That's brilliant. I love it. And while Black Shuck definitely brought horror to Suffolk, a different devil dog 
would introduce almost Lovecraftian levels of terror to the Isle of Man nearly a hundred years later. So whereas... I'd like to go to the Isle of Man. We're going to, don't worry. Okay, swimming. Yeah. We'll just swim <laughs> across, across the bay. It can't be that far. Well, the thing is, if I swim down and you swim out, we'd probably both get there. Yeah. They'll they'll recover both of our bodies on the coast of the Isle of Man. <laughs> With notes attached to them. Uh, I was just going to meet Joe. <laughs> just going to meet Ollie. Covered in goose fat. It didn't help. <laughs> but yeah, so if you think of Black Shuck as like um, Jason Voorhees, shock and awe, kind of slasher horror. Yeah. This next story is all about psychological terror. This is Mothman kind of feel we've got going yes. on. Yes. Because at some point in the 1660s, the guards at Peel Castle, which is on the west coast, I believe, of the Isle of Man, mm-hmm. they were enjoying a well-earned break in the guard room, sharing beer and dirty jokes, as guards are often wont to do. Mm. You know, manly men unwinding after a day of being manly. Lads. Lads, 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 lads. When a black dog known as the Moddy Do, entered the room and made itself at home in front of the fire. Okay. It was reported to be in the form of a disturbingly large spaniel. I mean, I can't really picture that. Okay. Well, you know a spaniel, like the floppy ears, the curly hair. Yeah, like a King Charles spaniel. Yeah, like imagine a King Charles spaniel, but it's got shaggy black hair, red eyes, and it's the size of a small horse. And it is just padded into a room where you were having a few jokes with the lads. Not, is it not acknowledged a horse? you in any way, shape, or form, and sat itself down in front of the fire to warm itself. No. Where's the door? Why is there no door? I, I don't know. Maybe it could open the door. Or maybe the door was left open just in case. Ah, okay. But anyway, this dog, the Moddy Doo, is now there in the guard room. It would remain at the fire all night long, leaving at dawn each morning. Though there were no outward signs of aggression, the guards took to remaining very quiet in the presence of Moddy Doo, and they would only leave the room in pairs for fear that the dog might decide to follow them. So this okay. this went on for weeks, where every night they'd be just hoping that it was over, and then Moddy Doo would boop, 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 pad his way in, settle himself in front of the fire, and they'd all just sit there, in silence, watching it for any sign that it was going to become aggressive towards them. So, so it's sort of teasing them yeah. with its presence, like scaring them. Yeah, the, t- the tension's ramping up every night. Yeah. They're getting more and more stressed because it's not doing anything. It's just turning up and then leaving. And they're spending the entire night sort of white knuckles clutched to the halberds, just waiting for it to do something and it never does. And then all day, they're thinking, maybe that was it. Maybe it won't come back. So it's messing with them. Yeah. Well, it feels that way. It continued for weeks. This uneasy stalemate. Until finally, one of the guards snapped. He declared loudly that he was not scared of the black dog and that he would go to lock up on his own to prove it. <gasps> so he's going to do the rounds on his own. Don't do it. The other guards tried to dissuade him, but he strode off down the dark corridor. A few moments later, Moddy Do lazily rose from his place by the fire, stretched his legs, and trotted off after the guard. Much to the horror of his colleagues. So he didn't run after him, just 
just sort of walked slowly. <gasps> My time That's to shine. Mind. Muddy do. Fudge. Yeah. Isn't it? A few minutes later, they heard blood curdling screams from somewhere in the castle. Despite this, the lone god did return to the guardroom. Okay. But he was wide eyed and frantic, unable to say anything intelligible. So something had happened. He remained in this state of insanity for three agonising days before he mercifully dropped dead. Oh, what? That's... Oh. God, can you imagine being, like, paralysed by fear? This is why I'm, like, Lovecraftian. I'm imagining Moddy Doo got to him and then opened its mouth and instead of it being jaws, it was, like, tentacles just came out and one eye and he glanced (laughs) into the eye and saw, you know, the wonder of eternity. And the futility of all existence and just his brain snapped like a breadstick. Just, it's gone. Yeah. Oh, God. The thing is, we'll, we'll never know. We will never know. Because Moddy do, he didn't return to the guardroom again. Though, it is still seen regularly at different sites all across the Isle of Man. <gasps> so he's still there pouring around and who knows where next he'll decide to set up shop. Until finally he drives someone to madness. Oh God! Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying like saying that to somebody? Like, there's just this dog. They were mm. like, "Yeah, fine." You'd be like, "Yeah, but it's it's, it's like it's there, like all the time." Just a lot of people menacing. call depression the black dog, don't they? Because mm. it just sort of sits there. I wonder if there's a relation to the story. Possibly. Like a link, like because it's there, but it's not really doing anything. Mm. It's mm. just hanging there. It's make, just making everything. Yeah. You can't enjoy yourself. You can't have a joke with the lads. You can't enjoy your beer. You can't do anything because it's there. Yeah, just hanging uh, there. Interesting. And I think those two stories go to show that you know devil dogs are more than capable of taking center stage. Mm. A black dog can be your leading man in a story, especially a horror story. Yeah. However, they will also on occasion work in a supporting role. <laughs> okay. This was definitely the case in July 1677 when Richard Cabell died in Buckfast Lee, a little village on the edge of Dartmoor in Devon. Is that where Buckfast is from? I don't know. It sounds like it should be. I know Buckfast is definitely English. Mm. I don't know where in England it's from, though. It may be near Buckfast Lee because you know mm. what? You know what uh, place names are like down south? You'll have variations on a theme, won't you? So you'll have yeah. Bookfast Lee, Bookfast Glen, Bookfast this, Bookfast that. And there's probably a Bookfast that is the centre of it. And then so everything else will be around in, it. So it's in Devon, yeah? Yep. Yeah, so Buckfast Tonic wine is made at, or originally was made at Buckfast Abbey in Devon in England. Oh, well, it may be that that was quite near Bookfast Lee. Um, which may also explain some of the things that the people there were seeing, if we're being honest. Because okay. <laughs> yeah, that stuff. They is call it a breakfast deadly. wine, and it's worrying that anything is referred to as a breakfast wine. In my <laughs> humble opinion, <laughs> two words that shouldn't go together: breakfast, wine. I always want to like wine. I think it looks cool. Yeah, mm. hurts my yeah. head. I did go yeah. through a phase where I really wanted to get into wine and classical music, mainly because I'd watched Hannibal Lecter quite a bit. <laughs> and I was like, that's a sophisticated guy. That that's what I should model myself after. Turn around at your wife, just start spitting. like. This was way before I was refined enough to pull a woman like Emma. 
<laughs> this is back when I was pretending that I like classical music. But maybe music. you're in it for the long game now. Now that you've got the the beautiful wife and the children and stuff, you can you can now turn psycho. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah. I, I, you know you've, what? I never considered that. Maybe I should. You've been like the black dog. What, just waiting. You are, waiting. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, Now's your time to shine. Well, regardless of whether it is the book fast where the wine comes from, mm. it was definitely the home of Richard Cabell right up until the time he died. He was known locally as Dirty Dick and was considered by most to be a monstrously evil man. He was believed to have murdered his wife in order that he could continue to indulge in all of his most depraved vices and most uh-huh. agreed that he had definitely sold his soul to the devil at some point. I'm pretty sure I've been into a pub called Dirty Dick's. Mm. Like an old man pub. Like a no, proper pub, not like a dodgy pub. I was, I was like going to say, where was this? No, no, no. I, I, I want to say when London you, or Edinburgh. Yeah, when you say pub, do you mean a club in East Germany? No, <laughs> no. I genuinely mean like an old man's wooden panelled bar called Dirty Dicks. Well, I don't know if it was named for this man, unless you were near, you know, near Dartmoor at the time. I mean, I could have been. You could have been. But yes, locals convinced. He'd sold his soul to the devil. He didn't, weren't sure when, but he, he had the look of someone who no longer was in possession of his own soul. You can tell, can't you? I definitely look at people and think, yeah, you don't have a soul. I mean, in the mirror daily, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately for the people of Buckfast Lee, shortly after his burial, it appears that the devil decided it was time to collect. In life, Richard Cabell was reportedly a keen hunter, and it seemed that the devil wanted him to continue in this role for all eternity. Okay. The very night he was placed in the family sepulchre, a pack of black hounds with red eyes and spitting flame entered the graveyard, sat outside of his tomb, and began howling, terrifying the locals. Thereafter, there were regular reports of people seeing the ghostly figure of Richard Cabell riding across Dartmoor at the head of a pack of devil dogs, intent on terrorising poor travellers to fulfil his wicked desires. This this could be lyrics from, like, a Metallica song. It could, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is very metal, yeah. this. Uh, just riding for the rest on a black... I'm sure he's on a black steed, and he's off there with the and devil dogs howling behind him. Devil dogs. Locals became so distressed that they decided to try and prevent Cabell from indulging in any further posthumous human hunting by placing a large stone on top of his tomb before building an enclosure around the outside, complete with iron bars like a prison. Fair. I mean, that would do it. This prison tomb can be seen in the grounds of the Holy Trinity Church in Buckfast Lee to this day. Do you know what? So you can go and see it if you want, and it is like they have built a tiny little prison to keep this ghost man in. Yes, oh. that, that pub's in Edinburgh, by the way, Dirty Dicks. Oh, is it? Dirty Dicks yeah. is in Edinburgh. I wonder what it's yeah. named after. Uh, I've read it's not that man. Uh, well, it would be a bit of a stretch. There's <laughs> someone in Edinburgh heard the story from... The, the Black who... Dog is in Edinburgh. There are, Although I'm surprised was... Edinburgh doesn't have its own version. Well, no, you've got Blackfriars Bobby, haven't you, up in Edinburgh? Great Fri- Is it Greatfriars Bobby? Greatfriars, yeah, sorry. I was just yeah. getting the black idea in there. Grey Fries Bobby, <laughs> yeah. which is yeah, well, I mean that's a bit of a, a story about a dog. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's not a lot to it, and I'm surprised that the people of Edinburgh have built statues of the thing. 
You've got to hang on to what you've got to hang on they've to. Got, they've got enough history in Edinburgh that they don't need to make Greyfriars a dog. Yeah, the, the main yeah, but event. But it's a sweet, I think it's a sweet story. Yeah. I'll, I'll give right. them that. Yeah. It, is a, it is a sweet story. I just feel like a man there's more died. to hang your historical hat on than that. And his, yeah, one of the oldest places in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like, pretty much the rich and poor lived on top of each other. And it, everyone, mm. the amount of stories that I've done, it's like, and then they spent some time in Edinburgh because it was the second place you go to after London. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Mm. What can I say? <laughs> I've totally lost where I was now. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So we were... Uh, oh, that was what I was going to say. There was actually, talking about everywhere has a black dog, um, there was one at Newgate Prison, apparently. There's a tale of a black dog at Newgate Prison. I didn't include it here. There's definitely... Please go and look if there's, it up. If anything's going to be haunted, it's going to be Newgate Prison. The amount of tortured souls yeah. that were in that place. And they manifested a black dog. <sighs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, you might be asking yourself, even with the amount of times he was tricked into building local infrastructure, the devil surely doesn't have access to the souls of enough dogs to keep this black dog industry going in perpetuity. Oh, Eventually, he's he going to run out, isn't he? No, he's got loads. Well, is he? I mean, if you get him one per bridge you've built, and you're using lot packs of, of the buggers to uh, okay, yeah, fine. instill terror into a small village... You, uh-huh. you know, you're eventually going to run out. But what about if you uh, a bridge has been replaced? So do you get two dogs for one bridge, or is it... I, d- I don't know. Mm. We'll have to ask them, the devil. Yeah. But while it's true that we now rely more on civil engineers for the building of bridges, it may be that the devil has found a new means of using river crossings to keep replenishing his stock of damned dogs. Yeah, OK, fine, yeah. In the grounds of Overton House in Dumbartonshire, Scotland, there is a bridge. It's over a little stream, uh, and it's part of the driveway, and it's around 15 metres high. It is also, rather boringly, called Overton Bridge. Rather less boringly, though, are the reports that this is the site where literally hundreds of dogs have apparently tried to commit suicide by jumping from the bridge onto the rocky outcrops below. Yep, it's the Dog Suicide Bridge. This phenomenon was first reported in the 1950s, and since then it is estimated that over 600 dogs have made the leap, with at least 50 of those dying as a result. What? Yep. So what does the bridge go over? It Water? goes over a little stream. Okay. So there's, But it's quite a deep sort of um, crevasse. Um, that this streams in, and it's part of the driveway okay, into the picture. main house. Right, I've got a picture now. Okay, so it's quite high up. Yep, yep. It's a um, uh, it's a very large fairy tale looking bridge, I would say. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's it's literally come up with the dog suicide bridge. Okay, yep. fine. A number of explanations have been volunteered by various experts. One of the more sensible being that the dogs are responding to the smell of mink urine as there is a population of these small animals living beneath the bridge at Overton. The argument goes that the construction of the bridge means that the dogs are unaware that they are actually 15 metres in the air, because it's, you know, it looks like it's just a straight path. Yeah. And that they actually believe they're jumping over a four-foot wall so that they can have some good mink-chasing fun. Uh, okay. They, you know, the dogs, are 
by this explanation, even more surprised than their owners when they suddenly find themselves plummeting towards the stream bed below. That's really sad. Yeah. So they think, I can smell mink. They're over there. And they jump and then they go, oh, shit. And thud. Although, like I say, only 50 have died and 600 have jumped. So the chances are that they're going to just shake it off. I mean, that's quite impressive. Uh, do you know what? Now that, I can, now that I'm looking at a picture of the bridge, mm. I can see how you actually wouldn't think you're actually that high up. Yeah, until you look over like the a, edge. It's like a gorge, a small gorge. Mm. And yeah, so one side is even, the other side's even, then you're on a bridge. Yeah, okay, fine. This rather mundane explanation also benefits from there being a recorded explosion in the mink population in Scotland that almost perfectly coincides with the advent of the reported doggy suicide attempts. So the minks exploded around the late 40s, early 50s, uh, and that's when people started reporting their dogs trying to jump off the bridge. So it all ties together quite neatly. Mm, But that's that's boring. Yeah, and I personally prefer the explanation that involves ghosts. Mm, So that's the one we're going to go with. You see, others more visionary people have argued that the reason that the dogs jump from the bridge is that they are naturally more attuned to the supernatural than humans are. And Mm -hmm. Overton House is a supernatural hotspot. (gasps) Tell me everything. It is claimed that the widow of Baron Overton, the man who built the bridge, was stricken with grief when he died in 1908. As the bridge was the last thing that he had completed, she spent hours every day walking back and forth over the span weeping and lamenting the loss of her true love. Hmm. It is this build-up of emotional energy that eventually eroded the barrier between our reality and the spirit realm. As, you know, it's good science, this. Mm -hmm. It resulted in Overton House becoming a thin place, where it is easier for ghosts and other supernatural beings to cross over. Following her own death, people have claimed to have seen Lady Overton's ghost staring from one of the windows that overlooks the bridge. With this overwhelming evidence of a woman crying and a ghost being sighted, I feel confident to say that the devil decided in the 1950s to utilise the grief of a ghost widow to lure dogs to their deaths in order to replenish his stores of dog souls so that he could continue to send spectral black dogs to terrify the residents of all the rural areas of the British islands, especially those in it Yorkshire for so some reason. Because... Yorkshire has a lot more. No, they just have more. Yorkshire's the biggest county in the UK, though, so it would naturally have a bigger black dog population. Black dog population. No, that makes sense. And they do have a lot more areas that you might refer to as, you know, windswept and interesting. They have a lot of miles, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it Uh makes sense, I guess. Whichever version of the story you believe, though, the notoriety of the bridge has resulted in at least one tragedy a real tragedy occurring that was explicitly linked to the devil. I mean, I I would argue that all the dog deaths are a tragedy. I'd say they are too, but they weren't explicitly linked to the devil. Okay. That's just my own sort of supernatural sleuthing that's Mm -hmm. got me to that point. Yeah. Lab technician Kevin Moy was walking across the bridge with his wife and two-week-old son, Ewan, on a sunny day in October 1994. Okay. When he decided that the time was right for him to save the world. Because right. that's what I think of, you know, on a random sunny day in October. Yeah. I'm going to save the world today. Since the birth of Ewan, Kevin had become convinced that he himself was the Antichrist and that his son, 
who had a birthmark which Kevin was convinced was a sign of the devil, would be responsible for the end of days. Kevin had a history of mental illness. And it was possible that the stress of the birth followed by the sleep deprivation caused by the newborn had caused a deterioration that wouldn't necessarily have been picked up by his you know, wife, who was herself recovering from what is even the best of births, is a traumatic experience. Oh my god, I'm cringing, mm. I'm cringing. Okay, go on. Interestingly, Kevin later confirmed that the end of the days he was convinced was about to occur would be in the form of a super virus. Mm. So, you know, I mean, even when you have no logic supporting your view, you can occasionally be kind of right. No, Semi-right. no, but I mean, yeah, we're still here. Mm. Yeah, for now. Just. It's not finished mutating. And there's yeah. a lot of people with coughs, me and you included. Yes, although I've not coughed once this episode. Mm. You've done really Yet. well. I have. Applause. Applause. <laughs> After reaching this conclusion, Kevin began seeing signs everywhere. He noticed that his bank card ended in 666, for example. And if that doesn't prove that you were the devil, I don't know what does. <laughs> Damn you, Nat West. Yeah, Nat West knew. They were like, well, as he's the devil, come on, we'll give him the 666. He'll appreciate that. Our Dark Lord, because all bankers worship Satan. Yeah. In order to prevent the ending of the human race, he decided there and then that both he and his son needed to die. Oh, God. Waiting until his wife's back was turned, Kevin dropped his two-week-old son from the Overton Bridge. He attempted to throw himself off as well, but was prevented from doing so and was dragged to Overton House to await the police and the ambulance. But while waiting, he almost succeeded in slashing his wrists open with a kitchen knife. Sadly... The two-week-old Ewan died of his injuries in hospital the following day. Kevin stood trial, but was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was committed to a secure hospital for treatment. It is difficult to say if it was sheer coincidence that the incident occurred on a bridge already notorious for unexpected death or if Kevin was in some way influenced by the sinister reputation that had built up over the preceding 44 years. Potentially. It's hard to know, isn't it, I guess? Which is quite a sobering end to the story, but I think it does go to show that all of these things that we laugh about, these you know legends and myths and stuff, they're only funny until people take them seriously. Uh, when 100%. suddenly they can have a massive detrimental impact. Yeah. And real-world sure. consequences. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all of these sort of tales and, and and stuff are conjured up in somebody's mind and somewhere along the line, do you know what I mean? Mm. I think a, a, a lot of this stuff, as we learn about mental illness, we actually realise a lot of people were just really unwell. <laughs> like, and They weren't necessarily possessed by the devil or this, that and the other, but they were, they were sick. Yeah, they sincerely um, needed help. Yeah, exactly. And we, but yeah. we didn't understand it. Yeah, the people of that time had no help to give. They didn't have any way, even if they had recognised that it was an illness, it'd be like, mm. but we don't what know what to do. What do we it. do? Well, it's yeah. the start of the asylum system, isn't it? That was people recognising that this was an illness, but going, and we're buggered if we know what to do about it. So mm-hmm. we're just going to stop you hurting yourself and others and call that the best of a bad job. 
Well, so uh, I read, obviously, working in mental health services for a long time, I sort of, and, and being into history. Uh, the idea, the initial idea behind asylums and taking people out of the cities and into the countryside and having like space to roam around in these big buildings, the idea behind it was good. It was, let's get people away from the stress and the... uh, I want to know what that all was about. Go on. I I think what you're thinking of is the... um the uh the retreat so that was uh, a special bespoke asylum built by um oh god what are they called the people who were always good they, they're always quakers. The, quakers the quakers yes so york asylum a quaker lady went into york asylum and she died very quickly mm. and the quakers tried to look into it and they were sort of um you know told they couldn't so they built an asylum of their own called The Retreat, and they were the ones who came up with the idea of maybe if we just treat these people like humans and give them meaningful occupation and give them the chance to exercise and the chance to you know, yeah, get out into the sunshine and do these things and have a sense of purpose again, that uh-huh. will help their mental illness. Yeah. And it was, it was really... the. Yeah, it was it was the Quakers who who came up with that idea. Oh, I didn't I didn't know it was them specifically, but mm. I knew the idea behind it initially was good. But then obviously as time went on and they got overcrowded and then people were like sort of sent away for not the right reasons and they were kind of used as a scapegoat for prisons and all this. Do you know what I mean? Like it just it became quite toxic well, yeah, when actually you used that to have wasn't the criminally there. insane in with the uh, the People, people, like people who, had, who yeah. had a baby when they were out of wedlock. Do you know what I mean? Well, with private um, asylums for the longest time, it just needed two people who knew the person to say that they were insane and they could be taken in. So there, there were schemes that were set up. You know, if a, if a husband wanted rid of his wife uh, but wanted to keep all of her money, he would just get, you know, a friend to mm-hmm. agree with him that she was insane, take her to a private asylum and just say, yep, she's insane, he agrees, and the doctors were more than happy if you paid enough to go, yep, I agree with you. This is clearly mm. an insane person. And then all the, you know, protestations, I'm not insane. He's trying to get at my money. Oh, that's what an insane person would say. You're paranoid. Oh, it's just, well, uh, it was uh, capitalism kicked in in that sort of oh yes. uh, that circumstance. You know, when I was doing my family tree, we discovered that um, a relation of mine uh, was in the Free Counties Asylum uh, not for very long. They were um, they were admitted, uh, and then two weeks later they died. Uh, well, that's not good. Uh, well, uh, they were older, so what I what I think is they probably had dementia, and it just got all manageable something. at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And that's that's what I assume had happened, but there's no records on it. It literally just says... Went to an asylum um, for two weeks and died. What a sad thing to mm. have the end of your life, the last few days, to be yeah. in an asylum. So the the building, the Free Counties Asylum building, is still there. They've converted it now into, like, luxury apartments and a, a gym complex and stuff. I mean, it's... There's a, a black dog in the gym, I'll tell you that. Dunning building. Well, I so I used to be a Paddling member of this gym... And um, the pool is in the basement, which used to be the morgue. Yeah, that is that is a haunted pool. Yeah, I mean it's a beautiful setting. But, did did um, you see a black shuck? 
No. Or a whist hound? Did I tell you, did I tell you when I first moved into this house? So I, um, I live in a... I live on the site of an old church. Uh, you do. Bang, bang on. My house is, like, spot on the site of a church. And um, I used to come... When I first moved in, uh, you know, like, washing up bowls and stuff. So I had a washing up bowl, and uh, every time I came downstairs, it was full of water. Right, and I was like, "Oh, well, there must be like a, it's drip a leaky tap, yeah, or a leak, yeah." Yep. So, um, I, I sort of stared at it for ages, and I was like, "It's not dripping. There's no drip here at all." And I'd come down every morning, and uh, the bowl would be full. Right, uh, I took the bowl out of the thing. I'd come down, uh, and I'd put like the the plug in the thing without the bowl again water and then I was just like I was just being a bit of a knob and I was like oh I wonder if I put like a cross up in my house Mm. somewhere like because I was just being really superstitious at that point as soon as I put this cross up it's not done it well what that was was it was a black dog filling a little water bowl for itself (laughs) probably and you've now banned it isn't that weird though isn't that weird I've got a yeah, it doesn't do it anymore. And I was just like, what? Ah, oh, also, when I've been asleep downstairs, when I've been lazy and I'm not, I've not gone upstairs, yeah. um, I've woken up and I've heard people walking, like, in my bedroom above me. I'm like, what the fudge? At that point, do you go up and investigate or do you just go, nope, not following No, I didn't. One. No, yeah. I was just like, I'm staying here. Um yeah, if I need a I wee, could... I'm going in the garden. They can keep that room until morning. And if I'm still hearing steps up there in the morning, I'm ringing the police. Because my bedroom is like directly above my living room. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I heard someone or something. It felt like something was walking upstairs. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see how many people believe they've had a ghost experience or a supernatural I mean, I experience. don't believe it. I don't believe in ghosts at all, but that cross is not moving now. Mm. <laughs> That's staying up there. <laughs> well, that, you know, you don't necessarily need to believe, but you've had what you would consider a supernatural experience. I wonder how many people in the country would say, well, I don't believe in ghosts, but there's this unexplained thing that happened to me, or uh-huh. I, I felt something at this point. I mean, Emma about... is convinced that she sees um, our one of our um, cats that died in the house at times. That's sweet. Slash, I mean, this could be the start of the black cat scenario. Well, this is something that um, actually, it seemed weird that around the 70s, it switched Mm. to um, cats. So now we have the Beast of Bodmin Moor, we have giant cats all over the country that have been seen. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that. Yeah, In about the 70s from dog to cat. And I, can't I remember hearing that, hearing that when I was a kid, being like, "There's a, I say it was, I don't know, there's a lynx yeah. like, running around." Uh, yeah, it's so, weird, isn't it? I was, it, uh, we could potentially be in the like going about our everyday business and see ghosts all the time, but we don't realise because they just look like normal humans. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like you could walk past like loads of them every day and be like, "Hey, I like that guy's top. It was really vintage." And actually, they died in, like, 1987. And they're like, just wandering Fuck. around. Like, what do I do now? Yeah. 
Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.